0: If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. Hello everyone, Dan here with a little bit of a surprise gift for you all to enjoy over the holiday period. Long-time listeners of the show know that back in summer of this year, I recorded a six-part mini-series titled Rights and Wrongs with my buddy and best-selling author John L. Monk. Since we're heading into the holiday spirit, we figured now would be a good time to share this extra bonus series with you, usually reserved for our Patreon supporters over at www.patreon.com forward slash great share, so you can head on into 2021 having learned from some of the biggest mistakes that we've made along a combined 10 years of our author journeys. Enjoy the series. We hope you find it useful. They could be watched in any order, so find the ones that apply most to you. Have an amazing holiday break, and we will see you very soon. What's the one thing that all great writers have in common?
1: They all learn from their mistakes. Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, this Great Writers Learn mini-series will give you a behind-the-curtains
0: look at two independent authors and the struggles they've faced along the way. You can shortcut the success of your career by learning from their blunders. Welcome to Great Writers Learn, with your hosts, best-selling authors Daniel Wilcox and John L. Monk. Hello and welcome to Rights and Wrongs, a great writers learn mini-series in which we explore the behind the scenes of author craft, take a retrospective look at some of the biggest mistakes that we've made, and share fundamental lessons learned so that you can learn from our errors and accelerate your author career. My name's Daniel Wilcox, and with me every single week is a sensational John L. Monk. Hey John, how's it going?
1: I am. Well, I was going to say I'm pretty good, but I've been digging a little bit in the garden today, so I'm like really tired. Nice. Uh, physically but my mind is awake and I'm ready to amaze you
0: perfect I'm excited for that because <laughs> today we're going to be exploring the topic of genre expectations sharing some of our own personal mistakes and errors that we've learned to avoid by watching others so John what are genre expectations
1: well it's what you think of when you think about the types of um, genres that you like to read um, for example when I was a kid you know I, I would think I, I would only read fantasy and so for me, I almost had a subset of a genre expectation for fantasy. Uh, I always had to have a male protagonist. I could not have science fiction mixed in with my fantasy. No romance could be mentioned in the book cover whatsoever. Um, not that I didn't mind romance when I stumbled upon it, but in my <laughs> mind, I wasn't looking for that. I preferred wizards over warriors, so you'd always sell the book to me if I had wizards as the main character. And uh, I didn't like first-person narrative because uh, I didn't understand how anybody can remember all those things, which yeah. is funny because now I write a lot of first-person. <laughs> so what, what's a genre expectation to you? Did I miss anything? Uh,
0: no, I think that's, that's kind of the gist of it. I think uh, genre expectations there – because I was trying to in, – in doing a little bit of research for this, I was trying to work out where genre expectations come from because it's, it almost sometimes feels like someone must have set – our expectations for what we want to get from a particular genre. Um, and I guess in some ways that's true because you've got the the greats that came before us and how they've written different books. But I think there's such a blend of um, almost like subcategories within the overarching genre that we probably won't go into because that gets a bit too granular. Um, but it's hard, it's hard to define where it actually came from. But, but like you say, it's, it's that, it's what you expect when you're reading that book. It's it's that part that keeps pulling you through. It's the, the fact that you know what the structure of a book will be. It's just the nuances of the story that propel you forward. So, for example, in my case, I write a lot of horror. Um, I know that in 99% of cases, most of the characters aren't going to make it to the end, as much as you love them. And we were just saying off the air, I recently just finished a book in which... I so, so, so hoped for these these four characters to come together and make it to the end. And of course they didn't because the monster slashed the hell out of them. Um oh. and that and that's just it's just one of the things that you get with horror. And even now I feel I feel a little ashamed because I'm a writer who writes horror, I'm a reader who reads horror, and I still get fooled by it, even though I know it's gonna happen. But if you can craft characters that are that emotionally uh intriguing, the people that you can really resonate with, then you get lost in that story and you almost forget what those goalposts are and you get dragged along to the finish.
1: Sure. Well, let me ask you a question. So you also, you also wrote post-apocalyptic. Yes. Now I've written some post-apocalyptic and I've never thought of it in terms of genre expectations. I just have read a lot in the genre. So I was, in my mind, it was sort of like natural. I wasn't trying to research it and say, I shall now write in this genre so uh, i don 't know if that was the case with you, but have you ever thought what are the what are the genre expectations of post apocalyptic
0: so i I think i 'm quite similar in that i i don 't know where where my my foundation for post apocalyptic came from, but uh, I mean I've played quite a lot of post apocalyptic games and i 've read a few books and things like that, so i knew I knew the tone of what I was trying to get with um, post apocalyptic tends to have quite a, a melancholy melancholy tone overarching the entire story. Um, because obviously, in most cases, some kind of event has happened that has forced this massive shift in what is essentially the end of the world. And it's about survival in a lot of cases, although less so uh, as the, the genre has grown. Um, in a lot of cases, you have a male, very grisly protagonist who's fighting tooth and claw. Um, he's normally alone in most cases or occasionally gets companions, but is reluctant to accept companionship um, because he's been somewhat hurt in the past. Um and you, you, you spend a lot of time world building and describing the destruction and the effects of whatever cataclysmic event has come before. Um, and I know in, in the case of your your Hell's Children, you had a lot of that world building of everyone collapsing and that it, it, there's, there's definitely a tone. There's an overarching, miserable tone <laughs> to post-apocalyptic.
1: It's not like a a, a peppy, happy little page turner with a wedding at the end. No,
0: <laughs> but yeah. that's the thing. People know what they're what they're going into and what to expect. So people who read post-apocalyptic will expect that. And if it is suddenly happy, if you do have this bright wedding and everything turns out wonderful, when all these people come skipping out of the yard and there are rainbows, it will turn people off because that's not what they bought that book for. Um, and the thing about genre expectations I find is that so many from a subconscious, particularly for people who are just readers and not writers, that they might not necessarily know why they're turned off, but that that will be why it's because somewhere down the line they've betrayed what fundamentally they were expecting along the way.
1: Right. Uh, I, I actually wrote up a list of genre expectations for uh, a couple of different genres um, that I've written. I've written in a little bit or have researched. Uh, you know, with the idea of writing maybe under a pen name. Nice. Uh, right. So. We, my wife and I were actually talking about writing some cozy mysteries. It's just, um, you know, I like to write in different things because it keeps me interested in stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to be talking about genre hopping a little bit later. Oh, yes. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, here we go. So for cozy mysteries, what we found out, right, just by, just by researching uh, and Dorothy, that's my wife. She's read some cozy mysteries, so she's probably better at talking about this than me, but usually the protagonist is a woman. Uh, The woman usually has a type of job where she can always leave. Uh, The setting is is usually a rural, small town, uh, not usually the city, uh, and never in so-called exotic places like Nepal or anything like that. Did you hear my wife sneeze?
0: (laughs) I thought that was a dog barking. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. All right. A few more for cozy. They usually have a pet. There's no sex, no gore. Uh, and they have some contact with the law enforcement. And This is so that the reader, uh, the main character, can get access to police information. Nice. Yeah. So for lit RPG, which is the one I've been writing kind of recently, uh, having played games all my life, coming to lit RPG, which is a relatively new genre, you know, there's you really got to watch the tropes because it's a very, very aggressive readership. Yes. Uh, very, very. <laughs> opinionated and, um, you know, they don't like interlopers and stuff like that. So, but going through this uh, number, numbers and stats are very important to load RPG. The stats must be used in creative ways that further the plot. Uh, For example, my regeneration was so high that I fell in a lava pit and it would take ages for me to die. Oh, the agony. You see how having uh, a high regeneration rate would cause problems there. Mm So uh, the writer would think about that and write it and the reader would go, oh, that's clever, that, Yeah, kind of fits. You don't break the rules of your own universe without a good reason. Action and humor are generally preferred. Um, one important thing uh, for some is always be in the game world. Uh, the more time that you spend in game in world, the more that I've noticed the readership seems to be happy. The other thing I noticed was they make it a big deal to have multiple types of monsters. This was surprising to me, uh, having not read a lot of the RPG. I didn't realize that that was a thing. Uh, I happen to have a lot of monsters, different types in my stories. And I kept on seeing reviews going, yeah, there's a lot of monsters. Uh, and I was like, what What an interesting thing to, uh, to mention. And <laughs> it turns out that uh, that's a good thing,
0: so. Fantastic.
1: Two more, uh, r- romance and young adult. So you know, young adult, a little quicker, it's usually in the present tense, usually first person. And it's more violent than you would think uh, if you don't already read the genre. So think Hunger Games or my own books, Hell's, Hell's Children. Hell's Children, so we got that. Uh, romance, my one experience with romance was erotica. I worked with two successful authors and got a bunch of tips when I wrote this sucker. Uh, <laughs> uh, the one I remember most was uh, the romance readers, were, they really hated cheats in their, in their books. So if you ever want to write a romance and you thought you'd write it about a cheat, um, it's a big turnoff. And I was like, really? I would think that a romance, uh, that would be a thing. Like oh, he's with this person now, but they get back together like the pina colada song or
0: something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. So how, how do people go about finding out what tropes, what genre expectations they should be trying to hit when they're, when they're approaching their books?
1: You know, I did a lot of Googling and, um, And I found a, it wasn't a lot of really concise stuff. Um, My wife found some good stuff on Cozy's. Uh, I don't know where she went, but she, you know, she's just Googling and stuff like that. You could probably lurk in various groups. I'll tell you right now for the lit RPG genre, if you wanted to write in it, lurking over the the big 10,000 plus strong uh, community on Facebook is a great way to see what drives the reader's, Crazy, good or bad, uh, they're very opinionated. They have lots of very good typing skills about it, too. <laughs> I'll let you know.
0: I mean, these are gamers.
1: Yeah, yeah, and don't um, if you do if you do that there. I don't know about other groups, but you're not allowed to crowdsource. So don't go. Hey, what do you think about this? that will get you kicked out. Just yeah. go there and lurk. Hit like, comment if you've got a book recommendation. You know, just general good behavior. Uh, I don't know if you can do the same with, with other genres. Uh, and the other idea, I guess, would be just to maybe, uh, you know, browse browse the bookstores and see what's selling and, you know, read them.
0: Yeah, reading is a, a massive one that I've, I've got on my list. Um, read, read the ones that are good. Read the ones that are excelling, um, but at the top of the charts. One thing that I also do like dabbling in is reading the ones that aren 't so recommended because because it 's interesting i never I never make it all the way to the end of those books, but number one it's good to see without inflating ego it 's good to see why writing can be bad or how some writers do write poorly but still manage to sell um and at the same time it's also good to try and work out where along the way again you 're getting turned off from from reading that book because there might be something fundamentally wrong that you suddenly realize, oh, this book that's leading the charts is delivering x y Z, whereas this has none of that um. And there will, as I mentioned earlier in, uh, in, in this episode, there will be a lot of subcategories, a load of niches within those particular genres. But generally, there'll be that those overarching themes that you you need to hit. So reading reading a lot and reading widely. Um, I mean, one of my one of my personal tips is that anytime I'm about to write a particular kind of book, I find a book that's closest to what I want to write, and I'll read that alongside me writing a book. Not really? so much to steal <sighs> the idea, but I think yeah, there's there's an element of uh, almost absorbing some of it through osmosis and being able to channel what someone's done well so you can try and put that into your book too?
1: You know, I did a little bit of that with Lit RPG. <clears throat> you know, playing games your whole life uh, is uh, it's not, a, it's not, it's not good enough. So uh, you also want to read what other people are reading. So I would look at other books and I would go, okay, so, you know, this is a well-received book and they're kind of doing something that I came up with also. Um, and this one is two, and that one is two. from these other people. So I'm not ripping them off and no one's gonna accuse me of it, you know? Uh, for example, I was really concerned that I was using the term perks. Like you have a perk, and, mm. uh, you have spells and you have abilities and you have perks. And I was like, uh, I hope nobody thinks I'm ripping off this author. And it turned out that that author is not, there was a couple other authors that also use perks. Mm. Uh, and also I had like a main character in my story who was the name of a popular uh, lit RPG series? Just the name of the series, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I can't possibly use this as the name, you know. So a little research, you know, you're going to get a lot from just researching in general. Let me ask you: uh, <clears throat> What do you think about genre expectations when it comes to like book descriptions?
0: I think it's good to find the buzzwords and the particular things that fit that genre and try and seed it into your book blurb if you can um i think realistically people who are looking for a particular type of story they want to find those clues as early as possible so going back to our discussion last week which was which covers um if your cover looks like it should do that's in in its own way a genre expectation Um, and then yeah i think you can easily study how certain people write their blurbs and i mean i've not gone massively massively in depth on this but um there is a particular formula to a lot of the successful blurbs for particular genres and how they're formatted and the particular things that they say. Um, I haven't got any specific examples, but I have while writing some of my own blurbs looked at to see what other people have been doing to see if I'm hitting what I should be for readers to to switch on and buy the book. And uh, obviously there's there's genre blending as well, which uh, is where people try and merge the line between two genres do you have any particular opinions on genre blending? Is this something that people should or shouldn't avoid? I would
1: say don't avoid I, I mean, I would say avoid it unless uh, unless you've got a big enough audience that they're just gonna follow you anywhere. Yeah. You know the people that like fantasy aren't gonna like wizards. the people that are gonna like wizard i mean fantasy they're not gonna like spaceships. The people like spaceships aren't gonna like wizards. you're gonna i mean from all I've seen and heard from other authors is genre blending is typically bad which is interesting because I kind of did some genre blending with my latest literary G series. There's a strong element of romance in it. Um, Mm. You know, it's about a man who uh, his his wife dies and he follows into a game looking for her. And so there's something like, there's something there. Um, But it wasn't like a lot of kissing and hugging and crying and and steamy moments or anything. It was nothing kind of like that. It was really more, she was the wife is more of a MacGuffin, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's an element of uh, of you can tow you can just about toe that line. I think you can get away with certain things as long as you have a predominant genre. Um, I mean, in personal experience, I know that genre blending can be creatively satisfying, but it, it is dangerous if you're trying to create a marketable product. And there is a reason why particular stories sell. And I know that as an indie author, there are a lot of people who, when they write their their book, have this concept they think has has never been done before because it blends two genres. Um, and it's not until you actually put that onto the market that you go, okay, no one's looking for this particular book, because you've already got these strong categories that that people are looking for subconsciously or consciously, whichever way. Um, so it can be, it can be a good way to fill your creative well. So if you know why you're writing, and if one of your reasons to write is literally just to be inspired to have a cathartic experience, and that can be good. But I think if we're talking about creating a marketable product that will sell, then it's very, very hard to do a genre blending unless you've got the backing of a traditional publishing deal.
1: Yeah. And by the way, going along with genre blending, uh, if you also don't want to sell books, write a book series <laughs> like my, my Jenkins Cycle, where there's no discernible genre. I mean, it could be a mystery. It could be romance. It could be action. Could be thriller. Mm. It's definitely supernatural, but not in an occult kind of way or anything like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, another... Those
1: books don't sell. <laughs>
0: no. Another example as well from my own bank is uh, I've uh, got a book Lazarus um, Enter the Dead Space, which I is one of my favorite books I've written because it was one of the first books I've written, but also I really really enjoyed the story. But at the same time, it trod the line between sort of quite deep science fiction versus post apocalyptic, right. and it it, it was all over between between the two and and it didn't sell and yet like i say it's one of my creatively most rewarding books but it just hasn't pushed many copies at all and the copies it has pushed uh did you get happy readers mixed bag mostly happy which is which is good um but a bit of a a bit of a mixed bag
1: gotcha
0: yeah um okay any last words before we round up this topic
1: yeah i would say the the last thing is um you know like anything the only rule is that there are no rules or the rules can be broken, but first you got to know them and a bunch of other platitudes. Um, don't be a slave to genre convention. Don't let it squeeze the life out of your story. Don't let, don't let it sit there and and keep you up at night wondering that I did, did I put one kiss too many in my, uh, you know, in my post-apocalyptic series or something like that. Is it, was there one wedding too many or something? Uh, you know, um, you know we're writers, we're artists. We are not paint by the numbers people. Um, these are just if you're trying to kind of anticipate sales, maybe it's healthy uh, to to kind of know about genre expectations. If you want to make money on some books now so that you can uh, so you can write what you want later, you know in my case, you know I'm trying to definitely get out of my job, so I'm a lot more careful with genre conventions. Than if I was a millionaire, then I'd be writing like, you know, stories about drywall that come to life. And, you know,
0: (laughs) I love it. I'm there. Yeah.
1: Kill handymen that come over.
0: Yes. Eat them. Mm. So, anyway,
1: you get the idea.
0: Yeah. Know, Know your why 100%. So thanks for joining us for this episode. Thank you to John for keeping me company. And if you've got your own lessons or cautionary tales regarding genre expectations that you're dying to share, then you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash great share, or leave a comment at facebook.com forward slash groups slash great share, or tag us with hashtag great learn. Join us next time when we'll be exploring the rights and wrongs of marketing for authors. And thank you once again, John L. Monk. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Great Writers Learn mini series, Rights and Wrongs. If you're looking for even more content created specifically to boost your creative wealth and accelerate your author career, then head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Writers Share and get involved in the community. From all of us here over at the Great Writers Share HQ, including myself, Holly Lyon, John Crinan, and Faye Trask, have an amazing Christmas and here's to an incredible 2021. Until next time.
1: Powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Jackie Johnson, the Beauty Talk Shock Jock. And I host Natch Butte, a podcast that explores the self-care space while laughing, yelling, singing, and keeping things cruelty free. Oh yeah. I gab with celebs, makeup artists female indie brand owners, and fellow funny folks about what beauty and self-care mean to them, as well as what's in their bags. Looking good while doing good, we are voting with our wallets, we are buying cruelty-free products, and we are having a goddamn blast laughing with our pals while we do it. That's Natch Butte.
0: This is the Natch Butte pod!
1: Welcome, baby. Listen to Natch Butte on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast recommends.